ready for the uncloseted conservative hour you've been waiting for. No censors, no fake news, just facts and the freedom to speak them. Friends, if you are still in the conservative closet, I've got one question for you. Why? We've sat in silence. We've been on the sidelines for years. How has it been working out? That's why it's an uncloseted conservative revolution right here, right now. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, your host and the original Uncloseted Conservative. Guys, thanks so much for joining me. Today's episode is a real treat. So earlier this year, uh, Robert Wood Anderson, he reached out. He said, Joe, love what you're doing. Love the Uncloseted Conservative theme. He said, I'm actually looking for uh, people that are leaders in their field, people that are influencers in their communities, uh, people that are doing something with the causes that they stand for, not just supporting them by saying, yay, you know, I, I enjoy that. Uh, and he said, I'm putting together an online summit experience, a fearless live summit. I'd love for you to be a part of it. Would you sit for an interview? And I said, Robert, I'd love to. So uh, Robert's done me a solid. Uh, he's actually given me several of those interviews uh, to put out as content for you all. So I really appreciate that, Robert. Robert Wood Anderson, uh, he's an author, um, he's a digital creator, and he's doing awesome things. His site is linked below. So check out his book series on the Popperford's Tale, um, The Reverend Runner. Uh, he's he, One of the books is already released. The second and third will be releasing soon. So check that out. The link is right below this video. Um, but uh, you missed out on the Fearless Live Summit. I was plugging it on the channel uh, back before May. Uh, but you are going to get to see some of the interviews. So today is my interview with Robert Wood Anderson. Um, I've also got interviews with Ty Smith, with John Curry, um, with uh, John Anderson. So we'll be releasing those you know, sometime down the road. Uh, but I'm super excited to get to share our interview with you guys. It's funny, I'll have to watch it as well because it, it's taken place a good while ago. Um, and I'm kind of curious what I said. Uh, so before we get into that, I uh, got to get into this, paying the bills. Guys, today's episode is presented by Birch Gold Group. Birch is the best in the biz with securing the value of your hard-earned savings. They've got precious metals, IRAs, which work just like your 401k or your IRA uh, that you might have with your private brokerage fund or at your job, um, except it actually stores the value of your money because it's in precious metals. You can also get physical precious metals. I'm talking gold. I'm talking silver, bullion, coins, uh, what have you from Birch Gold. Uh, but to do it, you got to get connected with them. The easiest way to do it is right on your cell phone. Just text Mobley to 989898. Get your free information kit. Get that relationship started with Birch Gold. Uh, it's no obligation. You don't have to purchase anything. But who doesn't love free information? So text Mobley, that's M-O-B-L-E-Y to 989898 today, and that info kit will be in your hands. Guys, sit back, relax. I know that I am as we get to the interview with myself and Mr. Robert Wood Anderson. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm exceptionally uh, happy to have this next guest. His name is Joe Mobley. He is a, a disabled Army vet and the host of The Joe Mobley Show. 
If you haven't caught it yet, uh, I think you will by the time this uh, interview is over. You know, when I uh, first got a hold of Joe and started talking to him and looked at what he had on his online, he said, uh, and I'll quote him here, I want to discover your superpowers and grow in confidence so that you can live life out loud. At that point, I knew he had to be on this, this summit because that's what the summit's all about. So Joe, do us a favor and, and come online by speaking to me in just a second and tell us a little bit about your life and how you got to where you are today. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, in a nutshell, uh, grace and uh, <laughs> grace and, and favor. But uh, I'm a kid from, uh, you know, uh, Western Long Island. My family moved to Virginia when I was young. Um, I, I became a Christian about the last moment of high school. I was a little bit afraid of what the future held. So I said that to one of my mentors and they insisted I went to Liberty University. So I went to Liberty. I met and married my wife there. Um, we lived in Lynchburg for about seven years. I spent some time in law enforcement, uh, uh, spent 11 years in the military, and then I, I got out and did some consulting for a couple of years with one of the largest um, technologist consultancies in the world. And I'm currently raising funds in the very office that I'm in uh, with a wonderful company called HSP Direct that lets me uh, uh, do some work and some play when I'm at work. Well, that's cool. Yeah, my wife lets me do that here in my home office. <laughs> My dog doesn't, but that's another story altogether. Well, listen, um, do me a favor and the audience a favor and, and talk to us a little bit about uh, um, your philosophy and what you mean by, and I quote again, where you where we're here to get you comfortable sharing your story. And I take that from your website. And, uh, you know, let talk to us all about that, if you would. Absolutely. So it all kind of comes, you know, you, you've got to do some things to get clicks. One of the things that I do on my website, it says coming out of the conservative closet or uncloseted, and I leave a blank there. Um, and that thing could be anything. Um, if you think of any of the divisive issues, if you think of things that aren't even divisive, cat or dog person, uh, just being able to be uncloseted. It's kind of a, a clickbaity way of saying being able to be completely genuine, authentic, to feel safe in your personal beliefs. Uh, and I, I say that because I had an experience. I'm People describe me as a courageous person. I think that I do what most people would do um, in circumstances. But I found myself in a meeting, like a, a literally just a meeting, a suit and tie meeting, no actual danger, and I was asked a question where I knew my opinion was wildly unpopular. Um, and it was about, you know, the people in the meeting may not have known that I was a disabled vet. They may not have known that I was former law, law enforcement. Uh, but it was at this consulting firm, and they were really disparaging law enforcement um, in 2020. Everyone, we don't even need to say what it is. Everyone probably can recall an event in 2020 involving law enforcement uh, that caused widespread outrage. Uh, so now I find in the professional sphere, um, my colleagues, my clients, my company disparaging law enforcement whole cloth. Um, 
And I think the assumption was made, well, Joe's a black man. Certainly he agrees. So the floor was given to me and I was sweating bullets. I was nervous out of my skin. Now I'll kick down any door, chase any terrorist. I was on a human trafficking task force for a number of years. And I got to tell you, I was sweating. (laughs) And I realized if I felt this way, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, yes, I certainly <laughs> see that. Yes. Yeah. If, if I felt that way, then certainly uh, many other people felt that way. So I came out with the, the uncloseted moniker that's just being able to share your thoughts, your opinions, and your beliefs without fear. Um, doesn't always mean that it's easy, uh, but it is something that we need to do in order for society to function, especially one like ours. Uh, you know, the United States of America, uh, for us to function well uh, from an economic standpoint, from a military standpoint, law and order, uh, the government, but really just civic living, just for us to live well and do the things that we'd like to do and pursue the things we'd like to pursue. We've got to be able to operate with some degree of safety in our thoughts, our opinions, our beliefs. You know, I want to do this job, not that job. I want to have a cat, not a dog, or vice versa. Um, and it starts there, but it really gets into political ideological issues, religious ideological issues, um, issues of sexuality, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. It's not that we can scrape the difference out. It's that, you know, you see these coexist stickers. I don't think people really consider what coexist means. Uh, we, we've got to be able to operate this way. Um, anyway, that's the story. That's that's how it came to be. It's something that happened to me. I didn't come up with it uh, in a think tank somewhere. <laughs> well, so so um, I'm assuming you spoke your mind at this meeting. And uh, tell me, did you have a positive result from that at the time, or did it cause other ripples so that you would find another way? The net result was positive. Um, I, the oxygen was sucked out of the meeting. Um, it, it was a, I didn't intend for it to be this, but we, you, you know that it was the same. It, it was a show stopping uh, exchange during the meeting. It was done respectfully and in a way that's professionally appropriate. Um, and I'll tell you this, it was tricky to navigate because I, re, I knew they were going to call on me. I'm sitting in, this company's impossibly diverse, almost half men, half women. Um, every sexuality, every people group, every nationality is represented in this company. And that's just baked into the operating system there. Wonderful leadership, wonderfully diverse. Um, you know, you're, it, it operates for the most part as a meritocracy where your talent, knowledge, skills, and ability carries you through. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like. It, it, it's really good for that. Um, but even so, I realized on the meeting that I was in, it was about 100 people. Um, so the gender thing held true. It's about 40% women, 60% men. But I realized that I was the only black man on the meeting at the time. Um, there were some mixed women and there were some brown men and women, uh, you know, Indian American or, uh, from somewhere in the Asian continent. Um, but it almost exactly when I realized I was the only black man, I knew someone was going to ask because this conflict largely has to do with police versus black men. At least that's the narrative. Um, earlier on the call, a mixed uh, half black, half white colleague of mine voiced some fears. 
Now, her fears, the way that she felt was sincere and true. And I had to address that when I addressed the group. Um, you know, she was upset. She had had some experiences herself. She had had some anxiety herself. And I needed to address the sincerity of her feelings, but also the, the facts of life and the data. Um, and I did it, you know, I have four young children, so I did it kind of using them as an analogy. My two young daughters share a room and they're afraid of the dark and the things in the closet and under the bed. Their fear is real, but the thing they're afraid of actually doesn't exist. There's nothing in the closet. There's nothing in the darkness. There's nothing under the beds. Um, so I, I did have to neg negotiate that obstacle. But once I did, I said the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Of course, law enforcement is not institutionally prejudicial. Um, the only people that law enforcement are prejudiced against are criminals. They want to stop bad guys, bar none. They want to protect innocent people living their lives. That's, that's the whole thing with very few exceptions. That is the mindset. Um, and I said that every narrative counter to that is a lie. And I said that as a consulting company who fixes problems for the world's largest, most powerful companies, we need to do better because we have the data we have the brilliance. We, we need to do better. Uh, and I told them I was really disappointed. And the interesting thing is my leaders were mostly affluent white men and women. Um, and for us to have this disagreement about the state of racial affairs was, and the state of law enforcement was strange because they all came up in college, in nice neighborhoods, um, in religious families or you know, their family situation was very different than mine. I, I come up in a very underprivileged uh, part of uh, Long Island with drugs, gangs, violence, um, all of that stuff. Neither of my parents went to college. So I, it was almost like people believe a thing about that type of life that's actually not true. Um, and it keeps getting propagated. So I said what I said. It did suck the oxygen out of the room. The obstacle was dealing with my colleagues, the reality of the stories that she told before I was asked this, dealing with that. But once I negotiated that, um, I just kind of let it all hang out. Um, dozens of people around the firm emailed, texted, or called me or pinged me with questions, with statements of support, with you know, just kind of finding solace. I'm so glad you said that. They felt like they were crazy. They felt like they were alone. These are people, these are whites, blacks, Asians, Indians, um, other ethnic groups, male, female, uh, non-binary, trans, all of the different sexualities. They're, this is just people, just people at large coming, coming to me to because they knew it was a safe place. They knew that I wasn't the type of person that was going to blow things out of proportion. Um, the leadership was very accommodating. I will say that without saying the name of the company. Uh, the leadership was extremely accommodating early in my career there because of this conversation. I, was, I found myself in one-on-one -on -one meetings with several managing directors, and there's a lot of space between where I was in the firm and a managing director. Um, None of them accosted me. They all gave me an audience. They were all curious. You know, they had identified that I was courageous enough to speak out and they wanted to hear more of what I had to say. And they didn't want to castigate me. They wanted to listen for understanding um, to include my managing director and a lot of his peers. Um, 
And I really appreciate that. And none of that would have come to pass had, had this incident not happened and they not asked. I was, I was saying to one of my mentors, I just feel like this is so wrong. I feel like I need to say something. And he said, Joe, if God wants you to say something, he will make it abundantly clear. Does something need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? Does it need to be said right now? And as sure as the sun will rise, I'm sitting in the meeting and that MD looks at me and says, we are going to give the floor to Joe, completely unscripted. <laughs> and, you know, if, if that wasn't the sign, I don't know what was. Those signs up. <laughs> Be careful what you pray for. Because you, you'll probably get it, you know, especially if it's good. It has a good outcome. Well, I'm glad you recognized that sound and, and asked for, the, for, you know, some help, shall we say? And uh, you had the opportunity. Oh, yeah. It's obviously led to uh, to good things for you. Um, the, the whole the whole notion that somebody knows how it's like to live like another person did and grow up is patently absurd, as far as I'm concerned. Particularly, well, you know, I I know what's kind of from uh, the early 60s when I worked downtown in LA at IBM and had friends and we went to, we went to bars there, black friends. I had them when I was on the stage and uh, singing with a group and just wonderful people. But, the, but what's become of, of that lifestyle has changed so much in my mind and it's become harder for people living there, and I may be speaking out of bounds here, but it seems to me that uh, the rest of the world isn't very helpful in recognizing that, and instead of throwing money in programs, helping people grow and live and express themselves, that's, that's the most important thing we can do. I mean, God gave us some gift. I think we, if we look inside, we can, we can appreciate that. So am I speaking out of turn here myself? Because that's kind of my, my message is, guys, you got it. You got to find the courage to, to stand up and do it. And as you've seen, it actually worked out pretty well. I, I think that's exactly the message from all sides, people from all backgrounds. And it's funny you bring up the 60s. I tell people, if people have a narrow view of this, the civil rights movement happened. It happened for a good reason. It was necessary. There was much more large-scale injustice at that time, but it had tremendous impact. Uh, the civil rights had tremendous impact. And like many things that happen in and surrounding the United States, that impact spans the world, not just here. And it's not just an impact for Black people. The world is a different place for all people to include um, white people, uh, to include any other type of uh, minority group, whether it's women, uh, whether it's um, underprivileged populations, um, or any other type of group that's not a mainstream group, which I think people would say men, um, whites, Christians. I mean, the worst thing to be in, in, in an equity striving world is a straight white Christian married man. Um, you know, and then if you marry your wife, then, you know, 
I'm you're, signed you, off. I'm, I got to <laughs> sign off here. You just, yeah. just checked all the points. Even <laughs> <laughs> you're the worst of the worst. Not, oh, I know it. I'm here to <laughs> seek forgiveness. Actually, I'm here to open people up to the idea that maybe we're all screwed up and we need help from everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, but what you said is exactly right. The thing that sets us apart is that we're people. We're not an animal or a desk or a tree or a person. That's all we need. That's the, the keys to the universe is cosmically we were created human. That's all you need. And even more so to have been born or given the opportunity to immigrate to this country is, is limitless. In, in, in the cosmos, it is hitting the lottery of lotteries. Um, so there's nothing that we can't do, you or I, our children. Um, now, 100 years ago, things were different. And into the 1940s, 50s, 60s, maybe 70s. But truly, you know, I, I was born in the late 80s. Um, and I did not grow up in a world that was angry, that was entitled, that where one group of the population hated the other or thought that they were mistreated or things were unjust. I, I you know, millennials, um, I guess early Generation Z and late, um, late Xers were not raised in that type of world. We were raised in meritocracy, um, friends with everyone. And I couldn't, we have an idea of which friends, how many white friends, black friends, Asian friends, Indian, Native American, et cetera, friends we have now. Growing up, we didn't even have an idea of that. Um, and it's becoming now. And that's, that's, I think that's because of an intentional effort by, uh, by a group of people um, trying to make those issues important artificially. Uh, but no, being a person and being here present in the United States, Everything is available to you, not easily, um, but if you keep your head down, your nose clean, if you work hard, um, if you study, if you're healthily curious, um, everything is available to you. And for a moment, when Barack Obama, before he was sworn into office, when he was president-elect Barack Obama, that was his message. His message was, there is no glass ceiling. Look what I've achieved. If I can do it, you can do it. His message was extremely encouraging from November to January. Um, oh, geez, what was that, 2008, 2012? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2008. Um, it was 2008. Well, it was 2007 into eight. Uh, but when he was president-elect, Barack Obama, for the first time, um, his message was one of hope. and and limitless opportunity. And I'm not saying they got to him, but somewhere between election day 2007 and inauguration day 2008, his message had changed because even his inaugural address, um, some of these elements of things that we're dealing with now were present. Um, and then of course, you know, there were, there were a number of um, police shootings or there was even one shooting by a private citizen um, of, a, of a young black man that was really pushed to the top of uh, national, if not international news. Um, anyway, that's all a story for another day. Uh, well, and, and, and let's have that story because I, th I think that on the other side of that is there's no, 
recognition that all the people that are all a high percentage of the people that are dying in, in Chicago and, and other areas are black people. Mm -hmm. Many of them being killed by black people. You know, it's, it just doesn't make any sense to, to, to segregate us and say that the, you know, the, I don't know. It's just so, it, it seems confusing, but on the, in the, in the long run, it truly isn't. I think we are being fed a lot of stuff that isn't true. And I think the problem is that people listen to that and believe it's true and then stop, stop going forward. They find themselves in cocoons. They find themselves hiding. Now, I can say that from a guy who in high school was a little bit screwed up and came back from going to, I, I went away to high school, to a military school. When I came home, I didn't want to have anything to do with anybody. And I spent, I would say, three months of my life every year for three years in the basement. And that's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't, I didn't turn <laughs> out to be that way, but that's the way I was. So I understand this. I understand it. I'm afraid to get out into the world and just face what was going on. And it's, there wasn't much going on then that was controversial, just life. But here we've got these, these pressures to behave a certain way. And I don't mean a righteous way. I mean to behave a certain way and, you know, not allow the conversation to go on. But it's in the conversation we learn. It's in the conversation we discover what we may be missing. And it certainly can open up our own minds to hear other people's points of view. So that seems to me to be being squelched. And it's, it's the, the most sad thing, I think, that I've, that I've seen in my life. And I'm a little older than you. <laughs> I was born in 45. So... Uh, not that I remember it all, but there it is. You know, it's just, it's, it's so <laughs> different and it's so destructive as far as I'm concerned. And I, I start, I'm seeing a turn. I'm seeing a turn because of you and people like you that are saying, look, let's talk. Let's at least discover what, what's going on without animus. Just, you know, let's get together a little bit. What do you say? I think that uh, we could have a lot of fun. Those little lyrics from that old song. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You, you hit on a lot of important stuff. Um, I Some people say skeptic. Some people say curious. I try and say curious. It's important for mankind. It's important for people, young, middle-aged, and old, to remain curious, to question things, to reason to the root is an old Bible phrase. Um, but to to know things for sure, to know that you know that you know. Um, for a long time, I, I was an atheist. I thought people were like machines. Um, and when you died, you would be shut off. That's it. And your body would decompose. It's just the same as turning off the light switch. And um, and I I came to the faith through through history, science, and a philosophical pursuit to say, you know, this is true. Uh, it's, it's, it's more likely than not that this is true. Um, and I take that skepticism or curiosity, depending on what you want to call it. Uh, I take that skepticism with me everywhere. One of these, the, the books here on the top of the bookshelf, kind of the daily um, drivers are Aristotle's dialogues and uh, a Socrates book. I'm a huge fan of the Socratic method. 
Um, and you can question in a respectful way, in a curious way. You can question in an arrogant way. Um, and it's almost at this point, I don't even care, just as long as people are asking questions, and having a dialogue, especially with people that have dissonant views. Um, but what we have instead, um, and a lot of times the point of difference is based on political ideological differences. Um, but the crux of the issue is, you know, there, there's one side that really kind of says that everyone's a bigot. Uh, and I think that society has conflated that with some type of racial element. Um, but true bigotry is in, is not being willing, willing to hear views that are against your own. That's what bigotry is. Bigotry is not accepting, not being willing to hear, not entertaining at all uh, other views. If that view is uh, Virginia is the best state, and someone else thinks Texas is the best state, I will listen to a Texan defend their state, and I'll talk up Virginia and how important we were in the founding and the leaders who were birthed and raised here. Um, but if instead I said Virginia is the best state and I know it, and I don't even give the audience to anyone from the other, you know, 49, um, that's what true bigotry is. So we, we have a huge issue um, around those things that you were speaking about not being willing to have that dialogue. And sometimes it's crunchy, it's uncomfortable. A lot of times I find like the lyrics that would have a good time uh, and that relationships deepen. Um, and it's not even about being right. I learn a lot and even about the views of other people that I still hold that view to be untrue, but I have a better understanding of it. It makes you more empathetic, more sympathetic. Um, I also find that I have changed things that I was a hard stance on because I've allowed, you know, dissonant opinions, opinions that aren't my own into my life. I have changed my mind about certain things. My core is the same. Uh, ethical and moral things, I think, have been unchanged for many years. Um, but about stuff that's important, I changed my stance on no-knock warrants in law enforcement um, just a couple of years ago used to be pro. Now now I'm actually against no-knock warrants. And I have a whole talk about that. But the way that that came, for me, I'm openly conservative. The way that that came about is from me listening to more empathetic liberals about their stance in law enforcement tactics. And I brought my knowledge of law enforcement tactics. And I got to say, they wore me down. I changed my <laughs> mind. Um, but that's an important process. And we need to engage in it. Uh, to have a thriving civilization. Uh, it, it really concerns me. That's why I speak out. You, you alluded to that. Uh, and I just hope that more people take to this type of behavior or I don't know <laughs> what the future looks like. Well, I think the future looks pretty bad and ugly if it, if it doesn't happen. I, again, I think, it's, I think it's happening, but that's because people like you are speaking out and encouraging people and asking them to, to do the same and, and explaining that when they did it, you know, maybe it was difficult. Maybe some people walked away, but in the end, net, net, it was, it was uh, the right thing to do. And you, and you've thrived because of it and others have too. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled with, with catching up with you a little bit here and 
watching your, listening to your your podcast and and reading your website. Um, you have a challenge on there. I think if you, I could call it that. Is that correct? If people sign up. Um, <laughs> I I do, and it's it's a pretty casual challenge. You go through it on your own. Um, but there, there are some habits that are just good for people. Um, so, uh, the way that I spell it out, if you, you sign up for the email list, you get the challenge delivered to your box, or if you don't even want to be on the email list, send me an email and asking for it and I'll send it to you without putting you on the list. Um, but it's 21 days of doing three daily disciplines. One is I don't want to say exercising, but just being active, um, going for a walk or doing, you know, a 10, 30, up to an hour long workout, um, but just every day, the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit is committing to go for a walk around the block every day for 21 days. Um, so that's be fit, uh, be wise, reading something, um, anything once a day, a newsletter, um, something, something narrative, a chapter of a nonfiction book, um, a historical document, Something that's not a text or a tweet or an online post could be an online article, um, something substantive, uh, and then be filled is the other. Um, so obviously, I'm I'm a person of faith. Uh, I I subscribe to some people say I think that's the strangest thing subscribe to, but I'm a believer in uh, Christianity, or I subscribe to Christianity. <laughs> um, so for me, that means Bible reading once a day, um, and of course. You know, the 21 days is supposed to be habit forming. Some people say 30 days, but 21, 21 day confidence challenge sounds more consumable than 30 or 31 day. Um, but you do those things in any order at any time during the day. Be be filled, be fit, be wise, read something, um, get into the word, uh, and then do some type of activity. And the interesting thing is people have asked me, um, how am I so confident, courageous, you know, um, do I do any type of life coaching? Do I have a life coach? Do I do life coaching for others? Um, do I have any type of confidence curriculum or anything? And it's like, no, that element of my character was born out of those activities, um, being healthy, being able to, to move my body from here to there. <laughs> Um, being well-read at this point, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I've read a lot, uh, and having a solid scriptural foundation that comes from daily, uh, reading of the word. Um, it's interesting. Some people, my recommendation to people, if you're a member of another faith, then the same truth should hold Then read your book of faith. My recommendation to a religious people, to atheists, to, um, people that just don't like religion at all. Um, if you could, I know it's difficult. It's the Bible. But if you could just take wisdom for wisdom's sake, Proverbs is, is, a, is a book that's basically wisdom personified. You can get copies of it completely separate, extracted from the actual Bible, um, where it's just, it's just the Proverbs. Um, and what I've never met anyone when I talk to them about an individual proverb and, and the truth there. Um, spend less than you make, save, sow, feed, reap a harvest. No one's ever disagreed with any of those things. Um, you know, 
some people have disagreed with this. A lot of Christians even work six days rest long. Um, that that stuff that's in here, but that's in Genesis. But anyway, that's okay. That's Proverbs. what I do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I Proverbs. want to, and sometimes yes. I want to work seven. So I that, I do that doesn't too. Happen. Um, but if you're that person, you're not sold out for a particular uh, theology. You would really benefit from 21 days of Proverbs, uh, physical activity, and and then reading something else, something extra biblical, specifically something that's not the Bible or a book of faith, but just something else. Uh, yeah, that's what the challenge is about. Man, you have been on the website. I I forgot that challenge. I have another campaign running right now. Oh, you do? forgot that was on there. Yeah. Which campaign? Well, let's take a minute and talk about that. Oh, it, it's it's a it's a split test for shared sales, and it's totally it's totally that's benign. Totally different. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That that's just the thing for making money. This thing. We, we, I think signs, most people on here like to make money too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but signing up for this thing, participating in this thing, does impact people long term. I've had people go through the challenge that continue to do it. It's something that I have in my daily planner. There's three blocks. You get to color them in if you check them off. Um, but those are some daily disciplines that can really, um, change your life. And I do do those things even on Sunday. Um, and you know, Sunday's a day for a 10 minute walk and you take the family, you know, you don't do an hour long workout or whatever. Um, yeah. And that, that is all you need for gaining in confidence. There's no secret sauce. Um, Yes, doing doing that process. Some people have felt more confident after the 21 days. Some people didn't go for it, didn't finish it. Some people needed to continue on. And a year later, um, that challenge has been going for almost two years. But a year later, you know, um, I'll, I get into an email dialogue with some people. I also ask people to start journaling, talking about just at the beginning of the day, do a brain dump, just write down all the thoughts in your head. And want you know just to get you to a place where you can be really productive, but to start to think about the thoughts that you had at the beginning of the journey, uh, the way that you felt about the work that you had to do, your ability to accomplish those goals when you started this thing versus a year later when you read and you spend time in the Word and you do a physical activity every day, you're a totally different person. Yes, I, yes, well, well. That's quite good advice. I think you got a book in you. No <laughs> I am I am writing a book that I'm not old enough and I don't have the experience yet to write, but the idea is there and I've I've started. So I'll I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll talk to you offline. I think you're wrong there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. About oh, not being ready and not and and too young, I think. Is that was that what you said? Uh, well, I'm not too young to write a book. The book that I'm uh, and I've already kind of dropped breadcrumbs about it. It's going to be something about. I don't have a title, but it's something about submitting to success. Oh, you know, there's a, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. It's like there there are things to do. Uh, there are things to do you have a that will coming propel up, you. <laughs> uh, uh, coming up, totally. Right. There are things to do that will propel you towards success, that will make things 
easier. One of those I talked about earlier, spend less than you make. Um, for a while, I was against Dave Ramsey. I was that young guy that was smarter than Dave Ramsey, who's uh, now we do what we call Ramsey economics in our household. Um, something that we need Congress to do. But, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. but then hearing Dave talk about it as I grew in my faith, and um, at one point I wasn't a tithing Christian. Now um, we, we tithe in, in excess of 10% of our income. Um, and no prosperity gospel here. But when you do that stuff, which is in Proverbs, <laughs> uh, when you budget, when you, um, when you read and study, where you avoid all appearance of evil or wrongdoing, um, when you're honest about the temptations in your life, um, whether they be sexual temptations, whether they be uh, substance temptations, whether they be um, just habits that you know don't build you up that you shouldn't be doing. It might not even be something that is a blanket sin, but it is to you because of the impact it has on your life. When you stay away from those things um, intentionally and invite accountability into your life, which is the recipe for success in those endeavors, um, then success becomes simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. So our debt was crushing. At one point, we had $93,000 of debt. Uh, my income was a fraction of that, and and I was a single income household. Um, and even with that level of difference in the shovel versus the hole, I'm starting to do Dave's method, which is biblical finance. Everything changed. My paycheck didn't change, but just that habit. And it was almost like there was a way that was right. It was presented to me by Dave Ramsey, but it was it was biblical. It, it was. He calls it God and your grandma's advice for finance, just common sense <laughs> stuff. Um, well, it turns out that stuff exists for diet and exercise. That stuff exists for having a successful marriage. That stuff exists for being a good driver, for having a good career, for being a good parent, a good man, a good father, a good wife, a good, you know. So success leaves clues. Uh, so I want to put, I've been on some of those journeys myself. And then other journeys I have not been on, and I don't want to go on, so I'll crowdsource some of that insight. But I want to package it into a book um, to encourage people. It doesn't matter what program. It doesn't have to be Dave Ramsey. It doesn't have to be this diet, that diet, this exercise, that exercise. But it needs to be one of the roads that has been mapped out. We try and create new processes for ourselves instead of doing uh, what's tested and true. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm happier so far along. You've got it all in your head. And my only advice is pick up your pen and pencil and get going. The world needs it. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.